0: This is the Danger Close Podcast, Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original, presented by Six Hour. My guest today is Dana Lash. She is the author of Hands Off My Gun, Fly Over Nation, and Grace Canceled. She is the number one nationally syndicated female talk show host. Well, in, I'll go ahead and say it, the world, not just the nation, in the world, and just a fantastic person. We also have a great time when we get together and talk. So without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, my friend, Dana Lash. Dana Lash, thank you so much for joining me on the Danger Close podcast. It is an honor to have you on.
1: Well, it's an honor to be on, Jack. Thanks for it. Congrats on it. Congrats on all your success. And I love oh. the title of your podcast. It's very hard to come up with a title for certain for certain things and you just nailed it so congrats on that
0: thank you thank you yes i wanted to have you know people are always asking more questions about the books or the background or what influenced you here or there or what what gun or knife can you go to more detail so this is the danger close side of that we're getting a little closer <laughs> so it right. uh, it works a few on a few different levels but speaking of success all right number 1 female radio talk show host in the country and i'll say the world uh, amazing.
1: Thank you. Thank you for that. Amazing. Uh, it's,
0: and it's not, and it's top 10 in all. Like I hate when people throw those things on there, those little, yeah. you know, kind of like female or this, and like you go down all these little rabbit holes and then you can finally find the place where you're number one, like on Amazon, like in this category, this category, this category, and you keep going down and you it's like, what top category, category You just is just that? There's only longer. one book in that category. That's why I'm number one there. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, for you, you are top 10 in the world.
1: Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Appreciate that. Thank you. My kids still think I'm a dork, but you know, I mean, I, so that, you know, it's sort of, it it counts for some, for certain things, I guess. And then other things, it just doesn't change anything. We show up and broadcast out of my house and it just do what I do. I have a very long commute down the hallway (laughs) and uh, even just no traffic. Oh,
0: that's amazing. So I guess we did talk about it a long time ago, but then when I was on the show last week, I assumed you were in another studio offsite just because of how professional everything looks oh, on there.
1: Yeah, no, no. Actually, that's I, I give that credit to my husband for getting helping to get that all set up. He, he actually handmade my desk and I have a, a, a sweet four and a half foot wide gamer screen that I use for radio and I pull all my stuff up and I just I wish that I had a four and a half wide, four and a half foot wide screen for everything It's amazing. You, you almost can't go back to your little laptop after that.
0: It's tough. You have a bigger screen here and this setup, so no, I love it. I love it. But uh, yeah, so you, and you just had uh, some news. So you have a new deal going here over for the next for the coming years. What what is that about?
1: Yeah. So I have extended. So I signed a new deal with Radio America, and those are the folks that distribute my radio program across the country. And we're in about, I think approaching like, I think it's around 200 markets now. And I have a lot of call letters that I have to. I'm horrible at memorizing, so I have a cheat sheet that I have to rely on. Um, I could never remember it all, but it's um, it's it's fun. I I I love. I'm very grateful that I get to do what I love. I love radio. I love radio. I think even more than television. I mean, I like television, but there's something about radio because I love the theater of the mind. I love Mm. telling stories and talking to people. And, you know, when you're doing television, it's especially when it's, you know, just the hour program and you have your commercial breaks and you have, it's very just buttoned up and very official. And you, you know, you just have to look a certain way and, I just, I love radio. I love podcasts too, but I, I just love the spoken word. I just, you just get right to it, and um, so I'm very, I'm very excited. So extending that deal, I've been in this twelve to three, uh, central one to four eastern spot for about seven years. I started radio in 2008, right, literally right before the election. It was the very end of October, days before the election. Crazy time to start radio. And, um, I, I, I just, uh, I love this spot. I love this day part. I love being on in the afternoon. Uh, cause that's, I, it, I just really enjoy it. And I, I feel like I'm just sitting down and talking with people and, you know, kind of shooting the breeze and it's, uh, it's fun. We enjoy it. And we've been doing incredibly well in, uh, in this, in this slot now for seven years and going to continue going on for, uh, many more years. So excited about that.
0: Yeah, no, that is amazing. I love you said theater of the mind. Like, that's. I want to write that down. I'm looking for my pen really quick because that's a great line. I love that. I'm going to steal that for a book and, of course, give you credit in the acknowledgement. <laughs> uh, so that's fantastic. I absolutely love that. And yeah, so how did you get so good at this? Because so now I have a tiny, tiny bit of experience going on TV and going into that studio. So to be on Tucker was my first time, I think, being on like that kind of a national type program. And I went in and I expected to see Tucker like I'm seeing you right now. So I can see your facial expressions, your body language. You know, if you're nodding your head, if I'm, should I go faster? Should I slow down? Should I keep talking? Is he trying to ask a question? And I got there and I'm staring into a large camera and there's no video monitor. I can't see anything. I can't see him. There's no body language. So now I understand when I get back and I'm watching on TV and I I see kind of a little awkwardness kind of back and forth. And I realize it's because that person can't see the host. It can't read that body language. So how did you get so good at it? It was very awkward for me because that was a surprise. Uh, so how did you get so good at doing this? Did you, were you always just naturally good at, uh, one Well, making, making an argument, making a point, um, and, uh, and presenting yourself and your point in a, in a way that's logical and compelling? Uh, like, how did you get so good at this? Like, it seems like, like we met each other a long time ago and, uh, and you were like good at it from the beginning. Like how, how did that come about?
1: I wasn't always, I have to say, I wasn't, I wasn't always, I've, I've been doing it for a while and I've been, uh, I, I did, um, a lot of video stuff for like, um, PJ media and other things even before then, but you're right. It is when you, when a lot of people don't realize when you're doing these, national hits doesn't even matter the cable news network. I mean, most of the time you're staring into just this abyss of the camera and there's no monitor and you, you just have like some camera guy that's there. He maybe cares that you're there or not. You don't know. And, and you, you have no cubes to, to go off of. And that can be, that can be incredibly disconcerting. And I think that's where radio really helped and doing video stuff and just staring into a camera uh, really help to to do that because you have to bring your own momentum. When you feel like it's just you there in the room and you're talking in it, you really have to bring the momentum to do that. And um, it, especially when there's a delay, because sometimes there, there will be anywhere from like a two second. I've had one, I one time I swear there was like a three second delay on one hit and it was the most awkward hit ever. And it was horrible uh-huh. because of it, but it's tough. I mean, you, you go in prepared, you and this is why TV is so incredibly different, as you know, because you you have your sound bites. You know what you want to say, and you have to say it in a specific amount of time, and and you got to be ready to go right out of the gate. So it's like you're anticipating what you're being asked. You know what the question is, and here's your here's your prepackaged answer, unless it's kind of a debate format, um, and then that's and 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 that that can that can be kind of tough. One of the things that that I started doing when I began doing a lot of television was just, and especially when I was debating people, because if I was going to be on like a, you know, just debating somebody on Fox or CNN or what have you, um, I wouldn't get to see the person. So I would look them up. And then I would just not watch them, but I would just listen to them because every everybody has, you know, people have like physical ticks that they do that kind of let you know where they're sort of going. Um, you can kind of tell when someone wants to speak by just watching their physical cues. Well, they have verbal cues as well, and you can hear it in the inflection of their voice and, you know, how how forcefully they speak or how quiet they get or if it trails off. And so I started just really familiarizing myself with with verbal cues and listening to not just what they were saying but how they were saying it and how strong their voice was and then also realize and and then also acquainting myself with you know, how, what makes them upset? How do you push their buttons? Um, what are the things that, that they pick up on? And then you can kind of feel and hear that, that tension in their voice. And so that way I didn't have to rely on any, on any physical cues. And if I was debating someone, I knew how to push their buttons just simply by going off of what they (laughs) sounded like. And so that, that might be psychotic, but, um, but it was, it ended up being very helpful. Long story short, it ended up being helpful.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. So the first time I was on, I was like, okay, I I wrote down, I spent a whole day like prepping and then writing these notes and then kind of prioritizing these things. And I wanted to like start here and I wanted to finish here with my big like knockout punch. (laughs) And then I got in and I only got I only got halfway through, barely halfway through. So I never got to my good thing at the end that I wanted to to finish with. And then I came back. I'm like, okay, now I've learned my lesson. I know how how this goes. Now you got to get your points in up front. You got to take that knockout punch and get it in up front just in case the time goes off or whatever. And then I Second one, I did the same thing. I still didn't get to my point. I I shortened everything down and I was like, ah. So now I really have to make a concerted effort to start with where I want to finish, I think. Yes. And now I get it when, when people would say like, okay, that politician, oh, they didn't answer the question. They didn't answer the question. Uh, now I kind of get it because if you're spending all this time, you know, prepping and there's something in your, your you've talked maybe ahead of time or your agent has about what you're going to, what, what the questions are going to be or what the theme, I guess. I've never gotten the questions, but kind of the general theme. We, we want you to talk about this, you know, uh, uh, riots or Second Amendment or whatever. Uh, it's been very broad. I've never gotten the actual questions, but you prep for that and then you get there and it's not that for whatever reason, yeah. you get a totally different question. And so I totally get that. Oh, uh, hey, I really want to talk about this because it's timely as a politician. And I really and I prepped for it. So I'm just going to answer mm-hmm. with my with my prep. So I kind of kind of get it once you invest that time uh, into prepping for a show. So I, I kind of I'm more understanding
1: yeah. now, kind of like
0: I'm more understanding when I find an error in a book. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh my God. I, I get it now.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, then you then you're like i understand that i feel that person's pain right now i know i've been there no you you realize you learn really quick that when you're when you're doing an interview and you're do, especially these cable hits that okay i'm going to tell you what i want you to know i know you asked a question but i'm going to tell you what i want you to know and then yeah. this is it and yeah it's um it's it is a ride it's a wild roller coaster ride for sure
0: yeah, it's crazy. And then you get off. And and so I like this because if I mess up, I can go back and I can be like, oh, you know what I meant to say was this. I don't know if that came off quite right. and We can have the conversation. But when you have those three minutes on there yeah. and that's it and the music's playing and the whole and it's it's crazy like that. If you mess up, you mess up like exactly. there's no going back to correct anything. No, so it's it's, it's, it's stressful. hard to
1: get in depth with something like with like this format. Yeah. You're not getting I mean, when, when you go on cable news, that person is there on They're up to 11. Here's their prepackaged. They're ready to rock. This is it. And then after four minutes, okay, we're done. That's it. That's the end of the discussion. And then they go off being normal person again. I mean, nobody walks around like, yes, and, you know, sitting up like ramrod straight. Nobody does. This is way, this is much more realistic with how people talk to each other. And I think a lot of people, that's why, you know, these long form discussions are so popular right now because the cable news is sort of like the gladiator event and then mm. you know this is where you know the real this people really can you can hash things out and and have deep dives and long discussions so it's good
0: yeah no, I think that's the same thing. Like it, with, uh, with radio, yeah. it's the same thing because, uh, that's why it, it is so popular because people think they're that third person in the conversation when you're on there and you're talking, well, I think I'm having that conversation. I think that we're here, but I'm, you know, making dinner or I'm, you know, r- fixing something in the garage or I'm driving in my car. Uh, but like, I'm like, you're talking, And then if you have somebody else on as a guest, I'm the third person in that conversation as I'm driving the kids to soccer or lacrosse or skiing or whatever, whatever it may be. So it's so much more personal than just looking at, at TV, for whatever reason, you know, there's more people in the, in the room usually watching your wife or the kids and whatever else is there. And then you know that it's an act. You just know growing up with TV that thousands of people are seeing this thing, millions in a lot of cases. Uh, so it's a it's it's more intimate. I think that uh, that's why people think that uh, you have that relationship with uh, with your listeners, and it's and it's so powerful because they're that third person in the conversation or that other person in the conversation, even though it's uh, it's just you and your, your microphone and the crew around you. It's just something that's really that's so powerful about that.
1: Yeah, it is, and and to be able to 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 take modern you know current events and weave stories around that and have those discussions. Um, it's, um, I mean, you have to really love to talk for sure. And, 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 and tell stories. Clearly you enjoy telling stories and (laughs) I'm talking and sometimes I'll tell stories, but you really love telling stories. So, I mean, that's where it's, it's in some ways it's kind of a natural fit, I think for writers because they, it's just another medium, but you do, you do think differently. And I'm sure that you've noticed this when you've been in front of a microphone, the thought process is so much different from the keyboard to the microphone. And that's that was a huge hurdle for me to get over when I first mm. began radio, because I hated it. Hated it with a burning passion of a thousand suns. Did not want to continue. But then as I got more into it, oh my gosh, I hated radio so bad. Yeah, you look surprised. I hated it. Yeah, It was baptism by fire. They literally threw me in a room and they're like, okay, go live. And I thought you people must have a lot of money for attorneys, because you have no idea what I'm going to do on your live radio wow. airwaves. And it just, it ended up working out. But when I, my first shows were horrible. They're some of the worst things that have ever been put on air, Jack. I swear to you, they're, they're awful. And, and I was like, you I scripted out live radio. I scripted out okay. my every hour of every broadcast. You can't do that. You have to, you know, you have to be flexible and you have to be able to flow. And thankfully I've got, I've got a lot better and I found my, found my rhythm, so to speak. But um, yeah, those yeah. those early days were tough.
0: <laughs> Do you ever go back and watch or listen to some of those early ones or are they just things of the past?
1: Oh, I could never. I would I would cry <laughs> to death. I don't even know if that's like if that's ever considered as a cause of casualty, but it would absolutely <laughs> be in my case. Now, there's certain times I hate the sound of my own voice and I can't stand watching myself on television. And so really? but if it's if it's something that I because, you you know, if you've done something well or if you haven't. And when I know that I've screwed up or I could have done it in a better way, I will as a punishment force myself to watch it. And then I'll pick myself apart. I mean, you know, you're your own you are your own worst critic. And there is nothing that anybody could ever say that would be harsher on me than I am on myself. And so I will tear apart like a segment of radio or I will tear apart a cable hit and I will pause it and I will literally write notes like this is awful you know this is what you know you should have said Um, and especially if it's about an issue that you really care about you know if you're advocating for something or if you're defending something you want to make sure that you have it down perfect and so I'm yeah I will I will go back and rhetorically gut myself by by watching it and it's that's not fun so I try to make that happen as minimal as possible if ever.
0: Yeah, no, I I do the same thing. I'm like, oh, I said too many ums there. Oh, I stumbled and I knew what I wanted to say, but I didn't quite get it. And uh, do you remember when uh, when Demi Moore is walking across the grass when her character is introduced in A Few Good Men and in her head, she's like going over what exactly what she wants to say and all her options uh, to her, her boss, the commanding officer or whoever it is that she's going to talk to. And she's talking and she's walking across the lawn and she sits down in the seat and she puts it all together and totally jacks it up. Yeah. Like, that's what I feel like I did when I was on with Katie Pavlich's show the other day, and uh, and I, I had this one, this thing that I wrote in the preface to uh, to my first novel, where I say we are citizens, not subjects, and we must stay ever vigilant that we remain so. And you know, I, I've I've read that so many times, and I've said it so many times. And so I was going to incorporate that into what we were talking about because it was Second Amendment type stuff. And uh, I totally jacked it up. And as I'm saying it, I'm thinking of Demi Moore walking (laughs) across the lawn and saying this thing in A Few Good Men. And I said, instead of remain, I said stay or stay. I said remain. And I totally mixed it up. And uh, at least I got the first part down. So it it ended up. You know, being okay, but still, yeah. These I, are the stories I, that yeah, people I can go back to and overthink gonna, it.
1: They're gonna go, he is human after all. See? <laughs> you have to <laughs> totally have, you have to have those stories for sure. Yeah,
0: exactly. And that kind of humanizes you, I think, to your audience as well. There's a, I think there's a place where you can get almost too smooth, and I'll never get there because I'm not the smooth in general. But uh but I think that some of that authenticity piece that people and there's you know it's overused word, but there's not really a better word for it um it, that humanizes you to people when you do do that and so so i think even even that being real uh and authentic and having it come off as uh as not so polished there's actually power in that as well especially in today's mediums you because aren't
1: you don't you view people and this might be mean for me to say but don't you view people who are just too polished as being kind of shady like that guy. Yes. Too slick. That guy's too. Yeah. Cool. That's don't trust. My
0: that. wife does for sure. Like she'll say, she'll see somebody on. We're watching the news. She's like, mm, too smooth. You know, like too that's slick. There's place. something about that person. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you're too good, it's 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 like a personality flaw because you know that person. <laughs> nobody's that good naturally. I mean, that's like something that right. you. It's a skill set that you acquire. Nobody's that good naturally. So I yeah. there is you're right there is something is it, as long as you have like a couple errors or you say some alms, you're good. I mean then, then we all trust <laughs> yeah, it's okay. you because we do. The-
0: you know what can you do in the end like you know we're all doing the best we can. Um and all of course always we want to get better of course at everything we do but um and so from the beginning was uh was second amendment and uh was that always from the beginning from your first show when you first stepped into the uh i guess the public sphere Um, uh, was that always something that you were um that you were passionate about that you were so 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 good at articulating that you were that uh like every time my wife and i see you on tv we're like yeah Dana and some of those ones that were have been crazy tough like those town hall like when everyone is against you and you stand up and you're the only person there you know my wife and i are like yeah i mean we're just there we i don't know we, we want to support you as best as we can and like i'll text you and be like you know, you did such a great job, you know, thank you for standing strong for us, you know, and all that. Um, but, uh, but were you always that good at it? Or were you always passionate about it? Or did it um, kind of, did you kind of get there over time? Um, and were you just talking about topics in general as you started off? And then now you found this this, not a niche, but this passion for, um, for the second amendment.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's a good question. And, and I have to thank you too. Cause you're such a great encourager uh, for people who don't know. Jack is like great at encouragement as good as he is at writing. Oh. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't start off that way for sure. I mean, I, even though, cause I was raised very uh, not the ideology that I am today, um, by a family that's still very much that ideology. But you know, being from Southern Missouri and they hunt, so there's the always that common ground. So it never. It was never an issue of um, a contentious issue for me, I think, until I became an adult and I sort of fell into it. I didn't want to go into broadcasting. I fought broadcasting tooth and nail. And then I finally, you know, after this is how it all started, honestly, was because of a Second Amendment column. I had a um, newspaper column in the Daily Paper and it was this award winning column and, you know, everything was kittens and sunshine. And I wrote about um, how I have firearms in my home and I also have kids. And it was like I was talking about setting puppies and kittens on fire or something. I mean, just the way that people reacted. And it's always, you know, the 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 loudest people are the ones who are, the you know, the mean, critical people who disagree with you. They're always so much louder than the people who agree with you. Uh, but that was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that, really. And they were very... Uh, very anti everything that I had just said in that in that column. And it wasn't I wasn't talking about, you know, responsible, irresponsible handling or anything like that. And um, it went from there and it became a news story because the paper's editorial board was like, we can't have content like this in our paper. And it was and then the um, Alternative Weekly that hated the paper wanted to exploit it just because they wanted to kick the paper. And so it became an even bigger deal. And I ended up being a guest on a morning radio show. And after my hit, they asked if um, I wanted to come in and talk with them. And then they said, why don't you come in and start a radio program on Sunday? And I said, you guys are nuts. I'm not doing that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, I've never never started broadcasting. I took like five seconds of a radio production class and I dropped it immediately and switched it to something else. Uh, So I fought it for a good six months and they would not stop. And so and I did a couple of other radio hits and I ended up doing it. And the Second Amendment was always... It became more and more important um, because I had I'd always supported it, but not actively, not like um, I never really had any reason to go out and and talk gun law and talk about, you know, handling and correct people because it was it didn't seem even then when I first began, it didn't even after all the stuff with the newspaper didn't even seem that contentious. And um, I think it was when I actually had to go and get my concealed carry license because of need Not because just of something like, you know, I was doing it leisurely. We had people that started even, you know, then um, coming to the house when I started doing radio and the hate mail that you would get and everything else. And I had to walk to a dark parking lot at night after I would leave my radio show at 1030, 11 o'clock at night. And I'd have to walk all the way across this empty dark parking lot to get to my car. Uh, so, yeah, I you needed know, to I needed, a, I needed a, to train. And um, I had never up until that point ever carried a handgun in my ever loving life. I mean, I grew up on rifles and shotguns. Uh, that's just what country folk had. You know, country folk relied on that more than they did handguns. Nothing against pistols or anything. But um, and so I I wanted to get very familiar with it as much as I could and learn everything about the law. And, and that's kind of what kickstarted it. And. You know, there were a couple of things that happened. You know, I talked about this in my book, in my youth, and, and, and things that happened after I got started in politics that, that really, turn, really flipped that switch for me to be passionate about the issue. And then, after seeing people try to erode those rights or shame people who just simply want to live their lives and make sure they can protect their families, uh, I think it comes from a place of me not wanting anyone else to ever feel uh, the way that I did before I had to go and get my concealed carry and, and just feel vulnerable, right? You don't want to ever feel vulnerable and you don't ever want to feel like you can't handle your own business. I'm a control freak. I don't, that feeling terrifies me more than anything else is not being able to handle my own business. And so having been made to feel that way, I didn't want anybody else to ever feel that way. They have a choice as to whether or not they want to or not, but I want to make sure that they have that choice. If they want to carry, if they don't want to carry, it doesn't matter. I just want to make sure that that choice is always available for people and so that's where my passion for it comes from and it just throughout, you know I guess my career it just kind of developed that way it was never anything that I sought out I never sought out anything I never approached anyone it just all kind of happened and then you know I mean I just I just I go where the fight is I guess so um rhetorically speaking so that's kind of how that's kind of how it all how it all happened
0: Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, I can't think of anyone better to, uh, you know, to be out in front of this issue. And just when I walked in here to do this, my wife is in there and she's like, yeah, Dana, she's like, you know, go get them, you know? And, 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 you know, every time we, we see you on there, there you're I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. So I'm learning from you. I'm like, how, like, okay, how did, how did she say that? Oh, that's amazing. How did it's, it's so, uh, at some point along the line, also you wrote three books. And, uh, and one is here. One is here. Fly Flavor nation. Grace canceled was the latest one, which was last year. Uh, we moved. So I have them, I have multiple inboxes here, but, uh, but that was, uh, that was the third one. And then, uh, the first one hands off, off my gun. So you found time to do three books over the last few years. Um, and, uh, is there another one in, in the works or is this, uh, is this something you'd like to do or is it, uh, is it something that supports everything else going on? Cause I know people want this from you, but is it something that you enjoy doing?
1: It's funny because I hate writing books.
0: <laughs> I, I know, I've heard you say that before, it's, like the editing process and I all mean, the rest it's, of
1: it. I think it's the editing process and and everybody has a writing style. And that's why I was asking you when you were on my program about your writing style, because I'm always fascinated by how other writers approach things. And you are, I mean, you're dealing with fiction and you're, you've are you created this entire world, uh, which is amazing and, and a great character development. And I mean, there's so much that you put into that. And I'm just writing about stuff that already exists, that's already out here, Um, not making up a a world. But it's I again, it comes back to being harsh on myself throughout the whole process. And I constantly second guess everything I put in it. Um, But, yeah, no, the first book, Hands Off My Gun, was just basically a breakdown of the history of gun control and looking in it, looking at firearm law and statistics and really putting human faces on. Uh, some of these stories that I don't think that people are telling, like for instance Otis McDonald in Chicago. I mean, this guy's name—he should be a household name. I mean, he fought the city of Chicago so that people could carry firearms and be able to defend themselves in their own communities. And he was tired of seeing people getting targeted in his community. And he—you know—was an elderly gentleman, and he's you know a natural rights hero. And it's sad to me that his name isn't you know isn't as as widely known as it should be. He's since passed, but. Um, I mean, his story and 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 what he went through in order to get this victory is is historic. And there's, there's so many instances like this, so many people across the country that really humanize this. And that's one of the things we do in politics. We, we just, we, we make a person a political issue so we can justify dehumanizing them. And that's why everything is so awful. And that's why we can never accomplish anything or ever find consensus and everything's viewed as betrayal and agreement is viewed as such. And so I, I wanted to remind people that, and that was, a, that was one of the perspectives I had going into this. I wanted to make sure that that, you know these are real people we're talking about these are people who experience things and from these experiences be they positive or traumatic there were cases and law that ended up developing from what these people endured and and it w- it was important to to relate that and in flyover nation this was just um, I I was I was looking at the 2016 election and there was something that was very weird that was happening uh, a, a huge section of I guess you could say of like, you know, working class, you know, a, a, a blue dog Democrats that felt like they didn't have a home politically. And everyone was talking about these inconsequential uh, cosmetic issues that had nothing to do with healthcare premiums or paying your mortgage or your rent or your car payment or a doctor bill or anything else. And it, it just, it, there were a lot of people who felt like they didn't have a home politically. And I watched them gravitate for someone that to someone that was ironically from New York but didn't act like a guy from New York. And No matter what people think of, of Trump, he didn't act like a guy from, from, I mean, in some ways he did, but in some ways he didn't. And people just wanted, they were fed up and they just wanted to talk about jobs and taxes and just get to the basics of stuff. And so I wrote about all of that. And I, I was looking at some of those uh, huge cultural and political changes in Flyover Nation and how it was sort of like um, Flyover Nation became the entire country except for maybe some of the edges of the, the East and Western coasts. And it, it was interesting to watch that. And um, and then my last book, Grace Canceled, which came out the week before the lockdown, which was just awesome. Uh, in fact, when yeah. we, were, we were in New York for the first press week, and then after we came back, I had like 20-some-odd events, 25-some-odd events around the country that all these cities began shutting down, and I wasn't yep. able to go out and talk to people about it. But I... I hated writing this book the most because Grace I, canceled. Yes, because I needed to write it. Yeah, Grace canceled. I, I I hated writing Grace canceled the most because it needed to be it needed to be written, and I don't know if it was more for myself or for other people. But I think every now and then it's good in my industry to do a gut check and a spiritual check as to where you are and how you're treating people and how you're representing the issues that you say that you care so much about. And are mm-hmm. you really are you being a good representative of that? And are you are you being a a good bearer of the platform that you have been given why or why not and so that's kind of where this book came from and it looked at cancel culture but even more than cancel culture the cancel the cancellation of grace and the cancellation of redemption and reconciliation and why everybody is so divided so that's what that's what grace canceled was about and it was written at a very difficult period and it was it was therapeutic and cathartic at the same time and I didn't let myself off the hook at all, like I you know i didn't I didn't excuse myself even though I wrote the book. I didn't excuse myself from it, so um but that's what that one was about,
0: yeah, and that one was very timely. How uh, long did that one take because uh, and it seems like things have only gotten you know worse since right. since then. It doesn't seem like we're on a a trend to uh, That of unreconciliation or understanding the uh, the nature and the power of forgiveness and working together. It seems like we have two political. We have politicians intentionally dividing. The country for their own political gain. And by political gain, I mean power grabs. Um, and so it seems like grace cancel was so timely. And it's even it's timely right now, even more so because things have, it seems anyway, uh, have just gotten worse. And people are just so mean and nasty online. And people see uh, our elected representatives see uh, opportunities to uh, exploit horrible situations to divide us further so that they solidify a base and take more power for themselves. Um, and so how long did it take you to write Grace Canceled? Because because it was so timely when it came out and it continues to be so timely today.
1: Uh, and that, well, I think it was kind of in fits and starts. So the very beginning yeah. of the book, um, I, wrote the in- I wrote the introduction in like one sitting and I wrote a couple of chapters in one sitting and then I would, I just, uh, there were portions that I kept in and some things that started going, you know, you, you go in and you edit and I wanted it to be just very concise and very straight, no chaser. And, um, uh, ultimately I think the editing process took the longest, um, but maybe just a few months to really write this book and, and yeah. to go through it and, Um, I mean, you know how it is. You, you try to write every single day and and you, you write, even though it's awful so that you can train your mind to, to engage in that practice every single day. It's very much disciplined and a discipline. Um, but, because so much of this was going there were so many things that were happening in this book that were germane to the whole title of the book so i was going back even during the editing process like oh i have to add this in i have to i mean my i thought my editor was going to strangle me god love him uh and and you know adding adding different stories and um while also trying to not drag it out for forever because you know they're like look <laughs> there's only so much that people want to read of this one topic i'm like i get it but there's so many examples of this Um, but it was in some, it's weird because it was one of the quickest books, but to write, but the hardest book to edit, if that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah. I remember talking to you when you were editing it and you were like, ah, and I'm like, oh, I love editing. And you're like, like, ah, this
1: is crazy. It's, 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 it's hard. It's like you're, you're, it's like having a child in a way you're having a child (laughs) and then you're sending it out there. And then, you know, it's like you, you, you're being, and then you're judged on that creation. And so you're very, you're very sensitive (laughs) about it. It's awful. Oh, it's awful.
0: Seriously. No, I've, I've thought of that, uh, analogy before, but I never say it because, uh, I want my, to look, have my wife be like, really? Uh-huh. Some, really? So. It
1: is. It very much is. It is like it's like it's in a in very in many ways it's like having a kid. It's like, you know, if your kid plays sports and they're not great at basketball, they're not great at football, you're looking around at the other parents like, oh I hope we didn't see it. I hope we <laughs> well, when you're, you're
0: releasing something into the world, it's like out of the nest, like eighteen and up you go, and here you are into the world and Good luck. And that's kind of, you know, in in that respect for for (laughs) sure, uh releasing that out there. But um, so in in in, uh in mine, and I talk about and I think about it all the time because it is it's so much at the forefront. It seems like uh, well, the First Amendment used to be something that we could all gather around. Growing up, I remember so I was born in the in the 70s, and so the 80s was really my my formative years. And and I remember growing up and my parents talking about. Martin Luther King and talking about content of character, like in the eighties, if you grew up in the eighties, like that was, you know, Martin Luther King and it was, and it was content of character, not color of skin and all that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, so that was, that was the end then the first amendment was something that everybody right left center, whatever, like that was something as Americans that we could rally around, you know, second amendment, even back then, you know, it's contentious here and there, but the first, that was something that we, we will fight for your right to say it, especially, especially if we disagree with you. that And now we are seeing that, the exact opposite of that. We're seeing uh, opportunities for big tech and politicians to get us in what I call an L ambush. So in the military, you have an ambush here. It's an online ambush. And then you have an L ambush. So you're not like shooting at each other, but you have the enemy trapped in an L. Uh, and that's what I see this has, is big tech and politicians right here catching us all in this in this L ambush uh, and promoting, canceling promoting even if it's not even if private companies can do certain things and that's fine, but we used to act in the spirit of the First Amendment even if we had they were private companies. Now the exact opposite is true. We're seeing opportunity to subvert that First Amendment because we're private companies and we have this political private industry cabal with big tech where they can get away. With doing this and acting in a way that is not in concert with the sec- with the First Amendment, um, so so that's it's hard to see that as a parent and watching our kids have to deal with this growing up. But it seems like we're just becoming more and more divided. And so something I think about every day with with kids and thinking, knowing that hey, decisions we make today don't just affect us in the next election cycle; they affect our kids, our grandkids, their kids uh, going forward. So. Um, when you think about first and second amendment and you think about d- the divisive nature that we're in as a, uh, a period that we're in here as a country, um, what gives you hope? Is there anything that gives you hope for, for the future for our kids and grandkids? Um, cause that's one, something I think about quite a bit.
1: Oddly enough. And you, you had some really great points in there and I, and I want to say that L ambush, that's a whole piece right there. You should write that piece. That is a great <laughs> well, way to describe that. I've never heard it described that way. And that's fantastic. I, the thing that I think gives me hope is the cynicism of Gen Z as odd as that sounds. Um, like I'm, I'm on the young, I think you and I are on the, uh, the younger end of Gen X and, uh, we're just going to skip millennials. God love them. We're going to pray for them. <laughs> we're going to skip those millennials, but Gen Z, there's something about this generation that makes me smile. And I, maybe it's just my kids and all their friends, but they, they hate social media they can't stand it. My youngest is like, I see these people every single day. Why do I want to talk to them, you know, on my off periods? And it's funny to hear them talk about it like that. Um, and my oldest is is kind of the same way. It's like, it's, you know, people that are, they go out and make fools of themselves for likes. And everyone is so cynical about it. And it's not just my kids, all of their friends, they talk the exact same way. And I was looking at these surveys that were measuring how Gen Z approach different issues. Like, how do they approach family? And how do they approach, you know, how do they look at their country? And the odd thing is that they seem to be, in some respects, they they kind of mimic my grandparents in a way, like with how they view family and the family unit. Because everybody's been looking for uh, I, uh, inclusion and identities where we we all always used to get Our identity from our family and our community and and by what we did. And now it's just people just want to claim something and say, well, this is what I am. And without having that rooted into, you know, in any of these other things that they've been historically rooted in. And so there was this there's this this thing with Gen Z where a couple of surveys that I've read, they they were returning to that returning to family. I saw this uh, another story. The younger millennials don't want to live in the cities any, anymore. They want to go to small towns and, and actually be able to buy property and afford homes. And the pandemic is like really accelerating that. So there's something that's happening in American culture where I think we're it's like it's ascending to the shriek where people are just done. They are just finished with oversensitivity they're finished with everyone else assuming the absolute worst about the other person and their intentions and motives and they just want to go back to a simpler way of living and they view social media as intensifying all of the all of the divisions Giving people a, you know, you always hear the phrase liquid courage. Well, this is digital courage. You know, you give people digital courage and they, you know, they really want to talk a big game and, and, and say stuff that they could never cash with their backsides in the real world. And, and it's made, it's, it's given people this inflated sense of, I think, uh, you know, not self-worth, but just perception of self. And so um, that gives me hope because I, I see some of the stuff that they say, their sense of humor gives me hope um their their rejection of just you know coddling and everything else just i don't know just gives me and they like rock and roll like so now there's this trend according to my kids where and i forget what they called it um they love the the like Miami Vice neon light art style and there's a whole phrase that i can't even remember the name for and they're going to light me up over this um and then my son was like so have you heard of dark wave and i just wanted to go you i felt like bane like i was born in this you're merely adopting it and they're into that. They're actually getting into good music. And my husband and I don't know how to deal with this because, you know, they're they're the kids. So they've discovered all of this. You know, we've never heard of this, Jack. <laughs> yeah, right, like we're right. dorks. We've never. Um, yeah. So that's that's given me hope, you know, and and the fact that we can still go out and, and and have an impact and and we have our voices. You know, you bring up something so important with social media and I go back and forth on on where I stand on so much of that because I you know I, I obviously you know I'm a conservative but I have very libertarian leanings where it concerns business and economics and all this stuff and just I want to be, I, my thing is I just want to be left alone, uh, yes. but I I also understand antitrust laws and and I I see the point that some have made uh, when you talk about these platforms social media platforms that want to enjoy the exemption from. Uh, laws that you know, I, me as a media outlet. When I'm on radio, I gotta abide by certain laws, and there's certain things that if I say something that's not right or not truthful or defamatory, you know, that's not protected speech, and I'm not protected from liability for that. And 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 I just think if platforms, there's an argument to be made for platforms, not as it relates to like Section 230, without getting too much in the weeds, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it, everybody should have to follow the same set of rules right because we live in a republic and isn't that what gives our rules strength and it gives our republic strength we're all equal in front of the law and we're all equal under the law when we break it and there shouldn't be any there shouldn't be exceptions like that if there's going to be exceptions for one Are we going to then there should be exceptions for all. And then we got to talk about the strength of our republic. And we've gotten into some dangerous territory as it relates, I think, with some of the digital offerings out there. So definitely you bring up such a great point with that. And and I know that uh, everybody's been kind of, you know, uh, slogging that out and having that conversation publicly. But some moves are going to have to be made for sure.
0: Yeah, this next decade is going to be very pivotal as far as uh, the freedoms that we've thus far enjoyed uh, and that people have died for from the inception of this country up through today uh, so that we could Pursue whatever we want to in life. We can make these opportunities. We have equal access to all these opportunities, uh, whether we do or not take advantage of them, based on the decisions that we make as we go along. But I love the digital courage. That's a fantastic one. I want to take that. I want to weave that into a novel. Digital courage, liquid courage. It's fantastic because it's so true. You know, you would never say these things. My friend has a has a good thing. He says if I wouldn't say it to pers- a person I was stuck with in an elevator, I won't say it on Twitter or social media. So I think that's uh, so I tell my kids that I pass that along to my kids. Like if you're going to be stuck in an elevator that's stopped for some reason between floors for a few hours, uh, then if you're not going to say it to that person in there, uh, then don't say it on on social media. Be kind. Try not to. Don't ever miss an opportunity to make somebody's day. I try to you know go through my day like that, and I try to pass that along to the to the kids as well um, because social media. Yeah, you have. There's an opportunity to be to be mean, I guess, and that's a hard thing to deal with. And the uh, internet never forgets.
1: Uh, I mean, people are canceled for stuff that they've written as teenagers on social media. I mean, they lose jobs, and and you're and and that kind of goes into you're never allowed a chance to prove your worth or prove that you've changed and and be redeemed and and have that reconciliation. It's only about destruction. So. You know, I've told my kids, too, um, which they're not on social media. Thank heavens. And they they hate it as Gen Z. Uh, but I, yeah. I, I'm i glad I don't have to worry about that. But I do worry about some of, you know, some of these. Uh, I think people were uh, the Internet doesn't forget. And it turned around to bite a lot of people, I think.
0: Yeah. And also the uh, the selective. Quotes. Like I understand now when people say that they were taken out of context on something, um, because I can see how that can easily happen. where you take that one sentence and then you throw it into to your article that is written in a certain way, and then this one sentence supports it, but you just grabbed it from you know a, a book or a uh, a segment that was uh that was a couple thousand words long or whatever it might be. Uh so I can see that. So I'm much I find myself to be much more forgiving these days now that I have. Uh, a little bit of experience in this, in this realm, um, just because I can see how it can happen and how you can have a concerted effort by uh, multiple people, organizations, platforms, whatever it might be to cancel you based on morphing what you said. And then we have the whole deep fake thing. That's a whole nother discussion. We can talk about that. That is terrifying. Uh, and it's, and that, yeah, that's a whole nother part. And there's a story today where where psychologists
1: can plant memories. Oh yeah. my God, it's so crazy!
0: So yeah. we're, getting into we're we're in some, some uncharted territory. Stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Definitely uncharted territory here. Um, but my hope is that we can go back to something that unites us, which used to be our common history, um, our like uh, our constitution, our founding documents, uh, our love of freedom, and standing up for that person that we disagree with. So I see things not going in that direction. I see people forgetting. I see schools not teaching certain things. Uh, I'm sure my kids have not read the Constitution, even though I gave each one of them the full thing. And I read the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July. We do that as a family. Um, so I try to put these little data points in for them. And we have uh, uh, leather-bound Versions of all these founding documents. Uh, so they're not just online. It's not just online, like if I wanted to search some random thing that comes into my head during the day. Uh, no, it's in a different place than that. It's uh they're they're here and they we see them and they're in there, right? We can see them from the kitchen right there. And so as the kids go through their day, they see that. Hey, why isn't you know this whatever I Googled today, that's not up there. But you know what is up there? Those founding documents. There's something about those that are a little bit different. Why did dad give me that at his retirement ceremony? Why'd he call me up and hand me a Bible, a, a leatherbound? constitution an old compass and uh and a, a Winkler tomahawk uh, and I explained why I gave them all those things um so so I'm trying to put those little things in their head but uh back in I talked to people that were in Vietnam and when they went to boot camp in late 50s early 60s mid 60s they talked about the constitution in boot camp now you don't do that you don't talk about the constitution anymore in boot camp and I think that is by design um like you have to you have to take certain things out why would you take that one out um, so all you do is say you swear to uphold and defend it, but wait a sec for these previous nine weeks where I was here running around folding clothes and making my bed and getting yelled at and doing pushups. We never talked about this document. We never read it all the way through, but I just swore to uphold and defend it. That's kind of strange. So anyway, so I think about those things, and that and the same thing goes for our education system. Like I don't think the kids read the whole thing in school; they take maybe selective parts here and there as part of you know, some sort of a history class or something. But it's not; uh, it should be a course in and of itself, and it should be something that unites us and does not divide us. But we're at a place where uh, where everything is used to divide.
1: Yeah, I always say that, uh, it, and there was I read I read something to this effect, and I'm I'm not even going to be able to remember to give it proper attribution, but. There's the the saying that you you can't go to France and become French, and you can't go to Italy and become Italian. You can't go to Germany and become German, uh, but you can come to the United States and you can be an American. And that's it's that that animating spirit of liberty. That is that's what unifies people. It's not how they look or what they think or who they worship or how they worship. It's that that desire to want to be free. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be unencumbered from big government and tyranny? Do you wanna be able to live your life and enjoy the fruits of your labor and voluntarily steward to your fellow man? Because if so, then that is what unites us in this big giant brotherhood that is America. And, and that's really, ultimately, that's what it all comes down to. That's the common ground. And we may not, and, 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 nobody shouldn't. I mean, my husband and I don't even agree with everything, you know, with each other on every single thing. Nobody does. You know, we're not the Borg. We're not hive mind people here. We all have our own, you know, things that we like, our own, our own opinions and everything else. But, that doesn't mean, you know, as Reagan said, my 80% friend is not my 20% enemy. And just because we may not agree with each other on everything, that doesn't mean that we're enemies on this point. I mean, we have so much more that unites us than doesn't. And I wish that was as promoted in media and everywhere else, even in Hollywood, um, as much as the division is. And, and so when I, when I do see those examples and stories like that, I, I make sure to, to mention them or grab onto them. And that gives me hope too. Just to, another answer to that question you asked a little bit ago. That's hopeful because, you know, you still see those examples. You still see, you still see stuff like that. So that's good. It's like that Willy Wonka when Charlie Bucket puts the everlasting gobstopper down because he's not taking it to Willy Wonka's competitor. And you, have, and, and you have, and he turns around Gene Wilder, best Willy Wonka ever. And he says, so shines a good deed in a weary world. So that's how I feel whenever I see stories like that. It's that's, I I get the Willy Wonka feeling.
0: I love it. I love it. I can't think of a better way to end this than on a note of hope like that. So Dana, thank you so much. And I know everybody probably already knows where to find you, but uh, where is the best place for people to find you? Where are you on the radio? We talked about your time slots, but, but uh, where can people find you? Listen in, engage, Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, all that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Website.
1: Yeah. Website's probably the best. That's like the catch all. danalash.com Lash dot com L.O.E.S.C.H. And I have um, the link to my newsletter chapter and verse, which I send out daily. I have all my radio prep that goes in that. And uh, deep dive. Sometimes if there's a lot of breaking news, I send a bunch of stuff out and that's on Substack, which thankfully they still support free speech and they don't allow people to get canceled. So, yay. Um, but uh, Radio 12 to 3 Central, 1 to 4 Eastern on, on stations across the country. People can stream it online. It's uh, the with the podcast. You can find us everywhere you can find sound, basically. I mean, I uh, Instagram, DLash, DLash on Twitter. I'm on Parler, Facebook. So, uh, but yeah, danalash.com is where, was where everybody can go in YouTube where I have my interview with you up on YouTube. Yes. And it's on my Facebook page.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, for doing that, by the oh way, my that gosh, was so much fun to, to And I need to, to have you. you on again. We're um, going
1: to get you, we're going to have you on again, because there's so many issues that are just like right in your wheelhouse and you would be so great to take apart. So.
0: Oh, awesome. Awesome. We'll talk about the L ambush. We'll do that for yes, sure. Yes. Yes. But, uh, and I love your Substack articles. Like those are your, those are so fantastic. I just found out. I don't know how I didn't know about it before, but uh, I think in the last month I found out about Substack and what they were doing over there. So I love your articles there. So, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. I know your time is so valuable. No, I sincerely no, no. appreciate it. I always it. have
1: time to talk with my friend Jack Carr. So yes,
0: awesome. I can't wait till we get on the range and uh, go shooting together again soon. Yes. So, yes. Uh, thank you for all you do. Also for for all of us out here. I mean, you speak for so many people, um, and you're out there on the front lines fighting, unafraid uh, at your example to all of us. So thank you so much for doing that. And uh, yeah, from the bottom of my heart.
1: Oh, Sincerely goodness. appreciated. Mega likewise to you, my friend.
0: Welcome to the Gear Spotlight section of the Danger Close podcast. All right, today I'm going to talk about AK variants because as students of weapon craft, it is important to be able to operate weapon systems other than an AR and a striker-fired pistol. So in this case, this is a rifle- Dynamics, AK Thunder Ranch Edition. So, uh, if you get one of these or any AK, it is important to know how to operate it. So, uh, getting on the range at Thunder Ranch or with someone else who uh, knows what they're doing with these things is extremely valuable. So, uh, in this case, I had a section in my next novel here, The Devil's Hand, that is AK specific. So, of course, where did I start? Well, with books. And one of those first ones is The Gun by C.J. Chevers, uh, former Marine. So, and this is not just a book about a history of the AK. This is really about a history of firearms in general. Uh, and it is absolutely fantastic. It's one of my most gifted books. Uh, and it is a, uh, I go to this all the time for reference. So it's absolutely fantastic. If it's not in your library, it should be. You can find it on my website if you want to know a little bit more about it in the blog section of my website. And I do uh, reading list selections every month. And this was on one of them. And it's going to be on the one for April because I used it as research for the devil's hand. And where else did I go after that? I went to my Vickers Guides. So if you don't have Vickers Guides or don't know what they are, They are th- these are the two uh, Kalishnikov. Uh, and think come in these slip cases if you decide to, to do that. Uh, it's just an option but I highly recommend it. You're going to want the slip cases to protect them but they're coffee table books and so I get a ton of information from these things and as soon as my office is finished here, there's going to be a table right there and they're all going to get lined up because I go to them so often as I'm writing the weapon-centric portions of my novel. So uh, you can see the photos in here are amazing. James Rupley takes the photos uh, Larry Vickers does all the history, uh, and they're just amazing. I Can't say enough good things about these books. So uh, these are the Kalishnikov one, volume one, volume two. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. Like that's the one for Sig right there, six hour. And they actually asked me to uh, Larry asked me to write about my experience with the P two two six. So if you followed me for a while, you know that I have a uh, uh, a deep uh, connection to the P two two six, and because I carried it downrange for all those deployments. So um, there's a whole bunch of different Vickers guides. Highly recommend them. And I think that's it. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Sig Hour. You can find Dana Lash at danalash.com. That is L O E S C H. And from there, you can find her on her YouTube channel and on Twitter and on Instagram and all the social platforms. So be sure and visit her there. And if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to leave a review, leave a comment, uh, leave a rating, and we will be bringing you more of these each and every Wednesday. You can find me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA. And to go a little deeper behind the scenes, check out officialjackcar.com. Thanks so much. Take care out there. Stay strong. Keep fighting.